0: Matthew chapter seven tonight. We'll continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount. That portion of the New Testament which many scholarly and godly men have said is probably the most profound section of teaching in the, in the New Testament anyway and perhaps the whole Bible. The words of our Lord on various subjects about what we do and how we live what he requires from us. We just finished chapter 6, where he said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things the world's seeking after. You don't have to spend all of your time and energy trying to get those things. You seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And then we come into chapter 7, probably the most second most often known verse in the Bible. First one would be John 3, 16, or the 23rd Psalm, but this one here probably ranks up there with the best of them. It says, judge not lest you be judged. Anytime a comment is made which is contrary to what somebody likes to hear or wanted to hear, expected to hear, and they don't like that, they use this verse, well, we're not to judge people. And that's a pretty common idea in Christians or non-Christians, is judge not. There is some truth in the way they say it, and but there's also some misinformation as to how they say that or how they do it. Let's read the first five verses and maybe the sixth one also. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet you shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how will you say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam or a log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of your own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Then we'll probably get to this. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Good instructions. Good instructions. Now, judge not lest you be judged. And it's true, as he says here, a lot of people who are guilty of judging, as he intended for this to be understood, are people who are less than cautious about their own life. They themselves have many flaws that could be judged worse than what they're judging in somebody else. They cannot see their own weaknesses or flaws, but they're able to see everybody else's. And when they see flaws in other people, They want to tell them their wrongs or broadcast their wrong to other people or send the message to their friends about who's wrong and who's right and who's in and who's out, and Jesus condemns that. He said, that's not the way I want you to live. Don't you judge lest you also be judged. Now, judging in the New Testament, the word judge here is a a simple Greek word, krino, K-R-I-N-O, and it simply means to judge or to form an opinion, or to give an opinion after making a distinction, or looking at any kind of subject, or whatever the problem is, a verse, a statement, or an action that somebody's taken, you look at what they did, and immediately we all, we, I mean, this is natural, we all pass judgment. You hear somebody out in public talking loud and vulgar, you can't say you don't pass opinion or pass judgment because you do. You think, well, that's not very nice. Well, that's, isn't that true? Not to be loud and cursing in public, it, wouldn't it, would that be wrong? Maybe I was the only one that was raised like this. Well, you know that's wrong. It's offensive to you. You're irritated by it. You don't like it. And so you say, man, somebody is not very nice. Well, that's a judgment that you pass, but it's not, it's not wrong judgment. You didn't just see a person and say, that's not a very nice person. But when they spoke, they revealed a little bit about themselves, and you know better who they are, and your judgment's fair. I mean, they said it, and then you looked at it and thought, well, that is true. But the word means to discern. A judge in a courtroom would listen to both sides. You listen to what this side says, and you listen to what this side says. And there's two different ways to see things. One of them is right or wrong, or there's a little bit of both. But a fair and just judge does not play favorites with what is right or wrong. The one thing that everything must measure up to is truth. Is it right? Now, we're not teaching on ethics tonight, but that's where it comes to. Is it right in the eyes of God? Is it fair and is it just? And we are called as God's people, as would God, to make a fair and just evaluation of what we hear, see, or what people do, or what we do. We're even told to judge ourselves. In First Corinthians 11, it said, if a man would see himself, these are my words, if a man saw himself as God sees him, and would reach a verdict against himself and not compromise himself, he wouldn't cause God to reach a verdict against him. Or God would not have to chasten a man who is willing to recognize, you're right, dear God, and I'm wrong. And because you are right and I'm wrong, I'm going to do something about my wrong. Otherwise, if you I don't think I'm all that wrong, then God may have to chasten you in order for you to learn what is right and overcome what is wrong. But to judge is to consider a particular case and to reach a judicial verdict concerning it. And God holds us to doing that fair and just. Whether it's somebody you don't want to be wrong, it doesn't matter. If they're wrong, they're wrong. But concerning the kind of judging that he's talking about, let's look at it this way. What does to judge not mean? What are we not to see in this verse? Because some people think that if you, if you say something about somebody else, like, well, their church doesn't believe in the rapture, and I think they're off. Somebody would say, well, you're not supposed to say that. That's, that's not fair. Well, is it true? Is it true? Now, listen to me. Not everything that's true needs to be broadcast. Thank you. Not everything that you see that is true uh, needs to be broadcast and sent abroad. But when it comes down to judging, one of the things that we have to realize that it does not mean is that, that it is not a commandment to turn a blind eye to sin or error. We do not turn a blind eye to sin or error. We see two people Doing things that they should not be doing or a brother overtaken in a fault, which is a judgment call. That doesn't mean you turn your head and say, well, you know, I'm not perfect. So, you know, everybody has flaws and it ain't mine to deal with. I ain't going to deal with it. You know, if we all had that problem, the church would be in chaos. Nobody would ever say that anything is wrong. Every man was like in the days of judges. Every man would do that which is right in his own eyes. And if we were doing two different things, but we said, well, as far as I'm concerned, it's okay to do it, uh, then we wouldn't have a church. We'd just have a bunch of people in some kind of a club. But somebody, in, in this case me, or maybe in some cases you, like in Galatians 6.1, you see a brother in the fault, you go to him. Somebody has to reach judgment against sin. When you see things that are wrong, you must deal with it. But you have to call it wrong. And if we don't do that, it like church discipline. How could you discipline a member of the church unless you made a judgment against what they did or what they said or what they're doing? You have to judge the situation in order to reach a verdict. But you have to have as the norm for what you're judging is the word of God. Turn to Galatians 6.1 again. Let me just point out a thing or two. if we did not judge wrong in a church, if we did not judge wrong actions or sin or error, we couldn't do this. We couldn't do Galatians 6.1. He said, brethren, if you see a man overtaken in a fault, now do you not have to judge that a fault has taken place? What determines what is a fault? A based on what is, do you judge somebody's in a fault? Based on what? It has to be the word. It can't be yourself because we're all imperfect in ourselves. Well, then who's going to deal with it? What does he say? You who are spiritual. Well, you see, I, I don't know if we're sticking there. There are two little nubs back here on my back. Can y'all see them? That's where my wings used to be until the backbiters bit them off. Well, nobody's perfect. but that doesn't mean nobody is spiritual. A spiritual man is growing. He has a heart for God. He is overcoming. He's working on his life. He's not consistently shallow and, and indifferent and eh, no big. He's not just loafing spiritually. Spiritual man recognizes his weaknesses. A woman, spiritual person would recognize their deficiencies, and they would approach the person they see overtaken in a fault with the attitude that he says that Paul writes of in Galatians 6, one. Let him restore such a one how? In a spirit of meekness. That means humility. It's like you're approaching a guy, not with that finger pointed out, and say, I'll tell you one thing, buddy. It's not like that. But in a humble and meek spirit knowing that I am not only accountable to God to deal with what he's showing me, but to do this in such a way that I'm not either trying to lord it over this guy, intimidate this guy, look down on this guy, or treat him as less than a brother. Now, he's guilty of something, and you go tell him his fault. Matthew 18. Go tell him his fault between you and him. You go to him and you speak humbly to them. It's like, brother, you, uh, or sister, I'm hearing rumors that you're, or you that, or there's a little bit of talk going around the church that says that you, and then whatever the thing is, is it true? Because if it is, I think you need to deal with it and not let it go, otherwise it's gonna get to the place where it's it's gonna be a big issue. Because he said, see, you consider your own self at the end of verse 1, considering thine own self. Well, everybody in this room knows that you're not perfect. But I hope you realize that if you've been a Christian very long, you have grown, and there is evidence to somebody that you have grown. And most hopefully with the person that you're going to go to to correct, if it's somebody you cheated out of $50 last month, I doubt you're going to have much good with him are we supposed to be blameless in society, live without blame? Well, we're working on it. It's getting better. And so the person that you're going to has to recognize that the nature, of the tone of your voice and the way you're coming to him means that you care. You're not going to let him just do this and think it's all right. I'm not supposed to turn my head just any more than in the giving part. You know, if you see a brother that has a need, if you shut up your heart of compassion from him, love of God doesn't dwell in, dwell in you. As, let me say it again, because this will be the year of our brother's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. We are responsible for each other. i preach that all over again. We do have an obligation to deal with things that maybe nobody else saw, and the things that are not supposed to be broadcast, things that nobody else is to know about. You saw a brother. Maybe you saw him coming out of a motel room with another woman. I don't know what it would be. Or saw him in a bar. Or saw him in a fight at the ball game. Things that Christians just shouldn't do. And so you saw him, and you, and you go to him. Brother, I mean, you need to talk. I saw you. And the Bible says, if he repent, you've gained him. That's enough. We've said all that needs to be said. But somebody has to make a judgment against it or about it. That's not a license for a church to be full of little policemen. You know, walking around with a little badge and have a little holster, you put your Bible in. You know, giving people tickets that break your rules as though the standard that God judges people by is how you see everything. It's not that there's two ways to see everything. There's only one way that is is right, and that's what we endeavor to do. So we go to people in the spirit of meekness and, and, and fairness to make a just and fair verdict. We don't want to hurt this person. We don't want to try to intimidate somebody or look down on somebody, but I judge about what you did. You're really wrong because the Bible says that's wrong. And if you can gain your brother and he'll repent and turn his life around, then, well, what does he say at the end of James 5? Let him know, brethren, if any of you, verse 19, do err from the truth and one convert him, turn him around, what does it say? Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. I am my brother's keeper. You are your brother and sister's keeper. We do have a right to note what is wrong. Even as Mark 16 says, if there is somebody in the church who is causing trouble, causing divisions, and whispering or backbiting or saying things they shouldn't say, the Bible says mark that man. Mark him before all. You mark him so that others may fear. You can't allow that. You can't have three or four different trumpets blowing in a church. You can't have different opinions and expect us to have unity. Anything that divides, God hates. One thing you can all be sure of is God hates division. God hates division. Divisive things. He that soweth discord, for example, amongst brethren, in Proverbs six, the Bible says God hates that. Well, we have to make sure that doesn't happen, and if it does happen, then we have to judge it, don't we? So, back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven. So it does not mean that we're not that we're supposed to turn our back to sins or anything else. Secondly, it doesn't mean that we're to turn our backs on error, error or wrong, any doctrinal or other truth or error. The Bible tells us concerning uh, who we should avoid, doesn't it? Tell us that we are people that we should avoid. The Bible tells us to avoid false prophets. Well, you have to make a decision that that's false. You have to have something, some kind of a go-to's, which is the word of God, you have to have some, something that you say, based on this, not how I think or my opinion, but based on the word, clearly you are in error or that person is in error. They may not be a part of our church. It may be a, a thing going around. Maybe there's some movement going around. It's got some stuff that some of it's good. Some of it is good. But there's just enough of it bad in there that if you latch on to it, a little, uh, uh, l- 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 help me, leaven. leaven, that's it. A little leaven will leaven the whole up. So somebody has to call attention to that is false. How many of you know you're real popular when you're pointing out false? Especially when five of the members of your church just got back from a meeting down there, and they think it's the biggest whoopie-doo that's come along in 10 years, and you're standing there saying, what you heard was wrong. I remember a lady, not in the church, but at a meeting I had once, I had made a remark about a movement that took place beginning in 1990, early 1990, Father's Day, and and it wound up being a barking, laughing, shaking, jerking movement. And a lot of people thought that was God. They said, this is the Holy Spirit in the middle of a solemn sermon somebody would just start laughing out uncontrollable laughter jerking and you know and twisted like there was some affliction and they said well that's the holy ghost and people follow that and by the bunches one picture i saw a video one time one man had another guy's belt around his neck like he's going to hang him but he was leading him across in front of the church. Everybody just laughing, and he was barking like a dog. That's real spiritual, isn't it? I mean, for one of the members of the church to have his belt around another member of the church, and him walking around, <laughs> <laughs> and this guy here go, <laughs> isn't that spiritual? You'd want to come back for more of that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to do that? Well, if you do, you're going to you be looking for <laughs> You be looking for something else or you'll be repenting one, because that's not what God is doing. This lady had been to one of those meetings, and she had gotten all freed up. And then she came to this solemn little meeting that I had, you know. I have had so few little things like that ever happen when I preach that I'm just so dull. just a dull man. Ask my wife, just a dull man. And so she came back from the wildfire to hear the dull man. And I just, all I gave her was just, just the word as I understood it, and I marked in that meeting about the error that goes around and distorts the truth but misleads people thinking that it's okay and they follow because there's a group following it. And I mentioned that barking. I thought, what is it spiritual about a barking? <clears throat> well, they're watchdogs. Now, if you believe that, you're still in kindergarten. I don't know why people follow that. They do. They do. When the Bible talks about decency and in order, it doesn't include that kind of stuff. I never read anywhere the Apostle Paul had Peter around the neck and Peter was barking like a dog leading him through the streets of Jerusalem. It just didn't work like that. But people today are looking for something new to believe. And one of the things that we read about in the Old Testament, especially in the the major prophets, is the necessity of watchmen. You know what watchmen did? They reached verdicts. The watchmen reached verdicts. They made judgment calls. The wolf is coming. Paul warned about wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, you need to know who is a wolf. How do you know who is a wolf in sheep's clothing? They're out there. They're going to come. False teachers, false apostles, false pastors. How do you know I'm not? The only way you can tell if I am are two ways. What's he say and how does he live? Whose wife is he with? Is some simple criterion, But we have to point out, and it's judgment. We do judge. We do reach a verdict. We look at the, what's going on. I see what the man is saying. I see what the guy is doing. And what I see may not be as bad as what he's saying because what he's saying is wrong. It's not in the Bible. If I were standing here tonight and said, Mormon doctrine is awful, I say, well, that's judging. It is judging. You got it. It's awful. But people only look at the, the Mormon effort of taking care of each other and, and their support of families and other things. They work hard and they do well. And, and what could be wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not wrong to take care of your family and to be a, a good worker and a good citizen. That's nothing wrong with that. Praise the Lord for that. It's all those squirrely doctrines, all those things that uh, they teach that Jesus and the devil were brothers. And when you get all the wives you can here, when you graduate through death, you go out there and you get yourself a planet and you become a god And you and your wives produce spirit babies, and these spirit babies come back to the earth to inhabit a physical body to go through the salvation process so they can get them a planet. You say they don't believe that. Get a book and read it. Get a book and read it. So why do you ever teach about cults? Why do you teach about wrong things? How do you know we're not one? You better have a book and know how to read it and have the courage to take a stand on it. Because this is what, in the last days, Jesus said, this will judge us. And Isaiah 8, 20 says, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. And if a whole lot of people's light, what they're trusting in, counting on, if the light you have is darkness, not light at all, but an interpretation of some man somewhere, Jesus said, how great, how great is the darkness? Because at, at best, all you can do is stumble through life hoping you're finding your way, but not ever really knowing. What a, what a terrible way to live. But we're called to point out error. As watchmen on the wall, you're called to warn people about, about wolves and about dangers. You can't avoid that. And a third thing about judging is this that that critiquing when which our word criticize comes is not always bad. I looked up in a dictionary today about criticize. The word criticize is not a Bible word. You won't find it in the Bible, so there's no lexicon to look it up in, but Webster says this to criticize in the strictest sense implies an attempt at objective judging so as to determine both merits and faults. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people write a book and they want intelligent, understanding people to read the book and not criticize it, but critique it. Read it and tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. If you see something in there you, you think could be improved upon, tell me. Well, wouldn't that be a judgment call? But see, it's not bad. Criticize is used bad in our society. And it's used bad in the church because it is one of those things that just divides us and separates us. All I'm saying is that the technical use of the word criticize or to critique some, to critique a book or to critique a play, critically acclaimed, they often say, about this means that it has been looked at and carefully read and judged to be whatever their judgment was. A lot of people before they go to movies, they see what the critics, the movie critics say. Those who critique movies. What a terrible job that would be, and how many stars they they give some of this tra- uh, some of these movies. See, I just judged it. But anyway, <clears throat> a critic is someone who, who forms and expresses judgments of people or things according to certain standards or values. And we would, as Christians, do that with the Word. We, again, we look at a situation, a movement. We look at Deuteronomy 13, and a, a critic, which is a judge, what I would hope all of us have the ability to uh, do to some degree. In chapter 13, like Moses the prophet said, he said in verse 1, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, that's always that always, always gets a crowd. People will drop teaching 50 to 1 to go watch something happen. They will give up a lot of things that they believe in order to go, well, it's an entertainment spirit. You derive pleasure from self-satisfaction about, whoo, I like that. Whereas teaching stimulates you like a two-edged sword. It divides asunder. It demands action. Most of these miracle workers never teach much anyway. But he says, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder uh, come to pass whereof he spoke, unto you saying, let us go after other gods which thou hast not known. He said, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or to that dreamer of because God is testing you, proving you whether or not you love him with all your heart and so forth. Well see, that, the way that says that, it doesn't come out and say the prophet preached wrong, but it did say that what he said to you was to go after other gods. You can't deny the power took place. You couldn't deny, for example, if somebody got healed or a limb was restored or fixed or an eye or whatever, and you saw it and a person gave clear evidence that they were healed or restored, you couldn't deny that. Or somebody worked a miracle of some other sort, whatever it might, might be, and it actually came to pass. You were there with your eyes and you saw it, and with your ears you heard it. You can't deny that it happened. It came to pass, he just said this is gonna happen, and bam, it happened. Now, there's a tendency to say this has to be God because all miracles come from God, right? No. In the last days, one of the outstanding deceptions of the last day will be lying signs and wonders. They're true signs and wonders. They actually do happen, but they are lies because behind them is the work of the devil and not only is it the work of the devil, but the work of the devil to deceive or to snare those who follow it. What if I told you this? You're probably going to be tested the rest of your life to see whether or not you'll put the word first. You're going to see things that mislead you, but, boy, so, and I like that. So he was so good to listen to, but yet it was wrong. What he did and what he is, the direction he's going is wrong. If you follow somebody is wrong, they're going to lead you wrong. Listen, the purpose of ministry, God did not give ministry gifts to the church for you to follow them. You listen to them, yes. You find out where they are, and yes. But the purpose of ministry is to point you to Jesus as your source, as Lord, controller over your life. As the one to whom you give your heart and your mind and your soul to. That's our function, is to point you, to make clear to you that Jesus only is whom we should follow. If we're doing something to get a following, if we're trying to become famous or important, maybe gain a following and people elevate us, whoa, so we become one of the important people in the kingdom as it exists then we're no longer pointing the people to Christ. If I keep exalting myself and telling you how accomplished that I am, and you, then you look to me. I become the source. You go by, you judge what everybody else says but what I said. I become the standard that you hold everybody else to. Well, Brother Hamilton says it like, like this. Brother Hamilton is not, the, not your source. Jesus is our source, is he not? A lot of men have taken his place because they say, well, I'm a follower of, well, I could show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where one of the arguments against the church in Corinth was that I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Peter, and well, I'm of Jesus. They were so divided because they chose people to follow. People were easier to follow than somebody you can't see. That's why Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like the heathens round about them. They had a king. They had routines, and they had things that they did. They and, and because it was all visual, they didn't want it. They didn't want to follow the invisible God who led them through the Red Sea. That they couldn't see Him, but they saw what He did. They they wanted something like everybody else had. We like to have things, maybe a statue or a picture. And in, in Israel's history, there were never. Sculptures and painters. There was no painting and no sculptures. And, you know, they had to introduce that from the heathen lands, the Moabites and the Amorites and all the other ites and icks and ticks around them. They did that. God's, God's people wanted to be like them. And so, plus Samuel's boys were not very nice. They didn't want them to rule really, them. We want a king. So they got one. So you have to begin pointing out and judging Get to get to where I am or where I want to go. You have to point out to people that we must critique what we hear and see. When you hear something that you're not sure of, whether or not it's right, go find out if it's right. The person might be very honest. I could be wrong theologically and not be trying to mislead you. Do you hear what I'm saying? It could be an honest thing. I mean, we're all growing, aren't we? I guarantee you that as I stand here tonight, I know more definitely what I believe tonight than I did 30 years ago. Because 30 years ago, if you said it fast enough and loud enough, everybody, hey, man, then we started listening to what we're saying, and we thought, well, then you were compelled to study to see if there was evidence to verify what you say you believe. I think a wise man will do that. I know in whom I have believed, or the only way I can know in whom I have believed is to know whom I believe in. It's studied to show yourself approved. He's revealed in the pages of Scripture, so you want to relate to him so you can say, I know. I know. And when people speak not as he spoke, then you have to know that's not right. I've heard this as much as you have. Why do y'all have to be so picked? Why are you so legalistic? We're not being legalistic. We have a standard that's set before us by the Almighty God, and he has said this is the way, walking in it. Our weakness and problem has been the way we've approached and looked at other people who weren't going that way, and we got labeled as legalistic. Rightly so. Rightly so. One of the great flaws of the faith movement, as I knew it, is not that we were wrong with what we said, but wrong in the way we said it. Very little humility and meekness, just a whole lot of, look, I know where I am and you ain't there, and if you had anything at all spiritual, you'd, you know, like two ladies I knew who went to a meeting one time, was in a, a garage in another state, They'd heard about this meeting and they were praising the Lord and these two ladies went and they couldn't, they couldn't join in the praise because all they could notice was that these, some of the women didn't have head coverings and there was something wrong here and the song leader this or something and the preacher said something about, you know. They just, they could not enjoy anything, nothing. But they had two boxes of tapes and it was over. They wanted to make sure that these people knew that there was a whole lot more than what they had, and they could do a whole lot better if they just listened to these tapes. I'm not saying that all of that's wrong, but I'm saying that's not the way you inform people that there's more than what they got. Because what that does, at least in my lifetime, when you see these people coming, you go lock the door, <laughs> lock the door. Here they come again. Now, what are they? What's wrong with us this time? Now what's wrong with us this time? That's been a problem with me in my life. I don't mind admitting that, you know, confessing your faults. uh, The way I grew up in the world, like basketball coaching, coaching is mostly about negative things. A scouting report is a negative report on the weaknesses of your opponent. And you tell your your players about this this person does this, and he can't do this, and you need to do this. and I mean, a whole lot of it is pointing out faults. Coaching and training your team is about pointing out their weaknesses and their It's all about negative things. Not all, but a lot of it's about negative things. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I'm amazed at how much I still remember about it. But, I mean, it's just what you do. And you come to the Lord, and you begin listening to the gospel, and you look around and that spirit, that negative, critical, fault-finding, finger-pointing spirit still rises up. See, a negative person is, is it probably usually an attempt to promote himself above other people so that he's more right than anybody else is. Maybe he's found more faults than other people. Jesus said, judge not, like that, lest you be judged. And you that see yourself as so above everything, so advanced, and you look at your brother who made a little mistake somewhere, and you see his mistake as some big, huge problem, and you try to correct him, he said, you need to get the log or plank, whichever way the Greek would say it, you need to get that Huge amount of wood out of your own eye, so you can see clearly how to get a little speck out of his eye. In Ezekiel chapter 16, you don't have to turn to that as a cross reference to this message. God accuses his people of judging Sister Sodom and Sister Samaria, the daughters of Sodom and the daughters of Samaria, and they were they were gross. And God says, now, I know you're not doing what they did, but what you do is a worse crime before me than what they're doing. The way you treat each other, the way you act, your pride, your haughtiness, your indifference, your rebellion, all of those things make you, in the eyes of God, worse than the people that you've judged. And I think a lot of times we, we may be right with a lot of things that we see wrong with some people. But we don't always recognize that there's problems in your own life. Let me tell you something used to bother me years ago. The people that were so right theologically, they had their I's dotted and their T's crossed and they had their tape list intact, tape one 10 minutes into it, I mean, they had all that kind of stuff right, especially the faith thing. Oh, they didn't, they didn't wear glasses, and they didn't use this, or they didn't go there, didn't drink that, didn't take it, no aspirin. I mean, they all out of debt, praise God. And I don't eat box mix cakes or whatever they prided themselves in not doing and not being, which means that you know I'm sure all of, all of you are like that, and yet with all their exactness and all their detailed righteousness, you couldn't get along with them. You couldn't get along with them. You couldn't. They were divisive. They were always pointing out your wrongs. You were always on edge around these people. You couldn't relax around them. They were little policemen. They contributed nothing to that which every joint supplies. In fact, you wanted to stay away from people like that. There was no enjoyment, no, no, no peace being with people like that. They were always, always promoting their rightness without realizing there's so much of you that's wrong. There's so much of you that's wrong. Look at your families. Look at, your, look at the way you treat your wife or your kids. They couldn't see that. They set up all night and talk about God over here and their buddies, and and boy, they'd pray about this or that while their wife and their family was at home without dad. It wasn't even necessary to be doing all this. They, you know, his role was at home, but oh no, he's a spiritual man. This kind of person wants to correct everybody, go to other meetings, and tell you how's come your people here? Don't, how's come your people here? How's come your people here? Don't do this or don't do that. You can't get along with these people. You know why? Because they're judges. They just tend to look down on everybody that doesn't measure up to their little standards. And what God is saying, is, they don't realize that in the eyes of God, they're full of flaws and weaknesses, but they can't receive it, not from you. They want you to receive from them, but they can't receive anything from you because they esteem that you are on a lesser level than they are. You know what God calls people like that? Matthew 7 and verse 5. What's he call people that are fault finders, critics, and doers of damage and not doers of good? He calls them hypocrites. You hypocrite. You have promoted yourself to a place on a level that you're playing a role. You think you're so right, and yet you're so wrong. I mean, you think that, you think that all is well with you, but really it isn't all as is well with you. I mean, it's like the word hypocrite means an actor. You're just not right. I think, again, the faith camp as I knew it was full of this. I'm sure I was included in it. I'm sure I was. Because it's so easy, it's so easy to, for, to find faults, especially today when I see so much. And, and let me say this, this hour that we're in is more, more evil than the hour was 20 years ago. Same devil, it's just more expressions of people who no longer contain decency and honor and let themselves do stuff, say stuff, dress, It's like they're undoing things and letting no limits rule them. When that stuff begins to creep in the church, if you don't deal with it, if you don't judge it to be wrong and evil, right away, it gets a foothold and you can't deal with it. People won't let go of it. They won't. They just won't. Look at verse 2 again, Matthew 7. For with what judgment you judge, you will also be judged. Now listen at this verse. Listen to what this, this is what Paul wrote in Romans 14, 10. Why dost thou judge thy brother? This is the question that's asked in Romans 14. Would you turn over there? Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14 is not a book that all the charismatics I've known, especially the policemen, would never want to read it or study it. You haven't heard very many messages in your life about Romans 14 because it's hard to, it's hard to understand for a lot of people. Let me read it. So you all take a moment here and relax, and let's, let's uh, read this. See, the word considering thyself, remember back in Galatians 6:1, "considering thy thyself? The word considering means to spy out. Considering yourself means to spy out. It means look towards an object and to contemplate or draw attention to. I'm not talking about now looking at other people. I'm talking about you and me. When we go walking through life and we there's times we need to come into action, we see things that we need to see and, 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 and reach a judgment about. said, so first you consider yourself. Realize that you're not perfect yet. Check your spiritual temperature and your heart while you're doing this. What does the Bible say? Armed with truth and a humble spirit, you approach your brother or your sister. Never to drive them away. Always to bring them back. To convert them to turn them around it doesn't say the preacher's called to do that you don't hire anybody to do that the ministry of God is not for sale it is isn't. so you don't hire people and give them so much money to convert sinners the church is a body of believers it will have a pastor somebody has to oversee it but everybody has a function Everybody has responsibility, and this year God is going to teach us things about that that we haven't fully grasped yet, but we will. Now in Romans 14 and verse 1, follow me. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not for doubtful disputings. For one believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak Well, he doesn't eat meat or whatever. He eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. Does that mean that God has received both of them? Yeah. One at his time in his life, at this period of growth in his life, he believes he should not eat certain meats, maybe pork chops. That was a no-no. Maybe he'd believe he shouldn't eat a a piece of rabbit or a shrimp or a piece of catfish or something. Maybe, oh, you know, the law says we shouldn't do that. Not me. But another who is beyond the law, as that's another story, you know that, uh, he's free to eat whatever, as long as he eats it with Thanksgiving. We're not confined to a system of rules anymore as Christians. We're not free to do anything we want to either because we must consider whether or not our actions would cause a brother or a sister to stumble. So we do consider. If my neighbor next door thought it was a horrible crime to wash your car on Sunday, I would never wash it in front of them. But there should come a time, if the teaching and it will come, that they should see that and overcome it. Then I can wash my car and wave at the same time. Verse 4. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? Of course, this man being God's servant. To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day like a Sabbath day above another. Another man, like myself or you, would esteem every day alike. Let every man be persuaded in his own mind, fully persuaded in his own mind. Does does that mean that you can believe anything you want to? No, it begins with him that is weak in the faith. He is to be tolerated. God does. So should we. That doesn't mean the time won't come in which you'll be able to impart a better knowledge to him, like to Apollos once. Remember the Apollos learned in the Scriptures, and he was shown a better way. Well, there'll come a time. Verse 6. For he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, like a Sabbath day. Well, it's, God, it's the Lord's day. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Now, to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the living and the dead. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to be judged anyway. Who made us a judge over each other as far as our opinions and our, our ways that others should line up with? That's not what this is about. We're not, we're not to be critical, finger-pointing people. People. Verse 11, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in thy brother's way. Now, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, Maybe he's talking here about pork. Okay, let's just think of it like that. And he's a Jew. He's speaking to Gentiles. He said, I know that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. That's what his conscience bears witness to. I shouldn't eat this. Well, then don't eat it. Are you with me? I mean, he ends this verse, this chapter, by saying you're damned if you do eat it because you're not eating in faith. Verse 15, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat, or your freedom to eat in front of him, and all of that, making him grieve for whom Christ died. Let not your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Let's do that. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended. Or is made weak? Hast thou faith? You know what you believe? Are you convinced about your freedom? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now that's quite a load in Romans 14. But you know what it says concerning judgment? We're here to benefit each other, not tear each other down. We're here to point each other to Christ, to be tolerant, to be loving, long suffering with each other. That's one of the fruits of the spirit. Cuz people are going to agitate us. Youngsters are growing, they do things wrong, they say things wrong and they they'll prophesy wrong. They'll run where angels fear to trod. It'd be easy just to grab them, everyone, as they go and stop them. Nobody grabbed us. We learned by the mistakes that we made, oops, we came back and began to realize that we weren't doing this right, that you were right, We were wrong, and here we are. We've learned to accept the truth. Hopefully, we're not weak in areas we used to be weak in because while there's, there is such a thing as being weak in the faith, there's also such a thing as being strong in the faith or being strong in the Lord or your faith growing exceedingly. So we want that too. So the text that we have about judging not is against a self-righteous person who feels superior to others and uh, views others with contempt so many times. Like the story of the Pharisee and the publican. Do you remember that? Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one a publican. You remember it? Luke 18, verse 10 and following. You remember it? And the publican prayed thus with himself. I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not like other men, or is this publican? Then he began to promote himself, which is what other people would hear him do. And they would think, well, he must be great because look at what he does. And they'd tell other people, well, he couldn't be too great because he's not like this guy. They'd become people followers. But here he said, I thank the Lord, I'm not like other people are, especially like this publican. Ugh. Did he judge a publican? Well, let me ask you a question. Let's Let's be fair because judging has to be fair. Was this publican wrong the way he lived? Did the publican not tithe and all those stuff? Nuh-uh. So he was right when he said, I thank you, God, because you're the one that taught me. I thank you that I'm not like this publican. Well, we can't say, I mean, to be fair now, look at at all of it. Well, I mean, he wasn't wrong in what he said. He was wrong in the attitude he brought to the table. I thank you, God. I'm not like so-and-so. He began to promote himself. There's no meekness. There's no humility there. God has no place in his kingdom for pride. Self-promotion. God has no place in that, in his kingdom for all of that kind of stuff. So he said, he went on to say, the publican could only smote upon his breast and not even look up to heaven. Say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said this man went down to his house justified rather than the publican, I mean rather than the Pharisee. Yet the Pharisee was the one that was actively doing things, actively studying, actively trying, actively uh, a follower of the law. He was trying to do all that, but he had done it to the points where he was proud of his advancement. I've known a, a preacher or two like that in my life, so proud of what they thought they knew and yet, apparently, what they knew wasn't very big at all because they're living like the devil today. I've known people who were preachers who, in the last 30 years, have given it all up. What were they doing before? How did they say all the things they said, all these eternal truths that they were giving? And yet, the pastor died, and a lot of these folks just eventually quit. Something is really flawed in a lot of people's lives. Now, that's a judgment call, but it's accurate. I think, I think as far as I know, they're all worth retrieving. But it's also true that once a man has learned a whole lot about the Bible and has learned the way of righteousness and all of that, to renew such a man again, to see his need for repentance is not easy to do. Well, I'll tell you, folks, when you put your hand on that plow, you really want to leave it there. You really want to leave it there. And you really want to be thankful for the the person who lovingly draws up side of you and encourages you to quit glancing back, to quit wanting to go back, to quit slowing down. Somebody who says you're on the right track, stay with it. I can see that you're not trying as hard as you used to. You'll be thankful for that. Because there's a lot of folks, if people didn't say something like that, they would have given up, walked away, and lost it all. We're a brother's keeper. We don't want that to happen to anybody. Now, turn to John 7, 24 as we commence now to close. We need to read this verse because this is a major verse about judging. John chapter 7 and verse 24. John seven twenty four tells us it's all right to judge. Now, don't be one of those people lacking in understanding. Say, well, how can this be? Because Jesus said not to judge. And then here he says it's okay to judge. Understand what we're saying. To reach a right, fair, just verdict against sin and error is good. To be critical of other people who aren't like you or like your church is not good. One is constructive, the other one is divisive. John 7 and verse 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. The Williams translation says, stop judging superficially. You must judge fairly, which is what we've been talking about. You don't want to look at somebody in another church that's different than us and say, well, they're all wrong and we're all right. They probably have so many right ways that we don't have. The best thing for us to do is not say anything. Now, doctrine is another deal. I've heard on the radio one morning about a church that said they wouldn't allow certain things in their church, that things that I think are important. Now, I would say that man is wrong when he said that. That's error. I don't think that man is, is damned. I don't. I just think there's an area in his life he needs to get his eyes open to. Now, my weakness that I refer to a while I go is that I want to jump up and, and call him something. I want to ridicule him a little What's just wrong? Say amen. amen. Say, Brother Hamilton, you were wrong. It's okay to do that because I am wrong. I was. Anyway, I'm working on this. I'm doing a little better because I think, you know, the people that you sometimes question, like somebody said, well, they're a loving bunch of people, and they haven't always said that about us. Maybe they haven't been around when the love popped out, but what a lot of people call love is a lot of smiles and, and hugs and everything, which is good. I like that. But if I disagree with you, don't say, don't do that because your love is only superficial. It's like phileo love. We love those of like kind, a fraternal love. We derive pleasure from being around each other, but it's not agape love. I love you whether you love me or not. And I'm not loving you to get you to love me. I love you because it's the nature of God to love you. Whereas phileo love a kiss means that I like you. You're not going to like me back? Well, then forget it. <laughs> I don't like you either anymore. All right. But God wants us to love in that, in that way. There's times we have to call an ace an ace and a spade a spade. Righteous judgment means the things that are right, things that are fair according to the standard. A man is lazy. If a father has a son who is lazy and he says, you're just lazy. Now, has he judged his son? Yes. Did he judge him right? Well, or a man who comes out of a motel room with another woman and you say, you know what? Not only is that the appearance of evil, but I judge you as an adulterer. Nothing happened in there. Right, right. You just held hands and watched the the weather channel. Right. How many of you know that A judgment call is exactly that. It's a fair and just having evaluated something, you reach a verdict. Or if you don't know something was wrong, you go to the person and say, did you? Did you say that? Did you start the rumor? I've chased rabbits for 50 years. I've only been saved 40 some. Somebody said, so-and-so said, well, he said and she said, so you said, okay. Somebody said, you said, well, she said, okay. Somebody said that you, so-and-so said you, so who else? Okay. He said this, he said, and finally get back over here. And you know what? The thing, well, that's not what I meant. Well, why did you say it? Were you wanting to bring pain on somebody? Were you trying to get a lot of people to agree with you that, that your brother or your sister is not worthy to be in your company? Do you know God hates that? Then you raise your hands and act like you're in, like a Pharisee before God, and you're a hypocrite. Matthew 23. Look at verse, first of all, look at verse 13 and 14. Matthew 23, 13 and 14. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Is that a judgment? For well, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, is that judgment? What's he basing it on? Had he not seen them and watched them? He said, You neither suffer them to go in, but you won't go in yourself. Verse 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses. How does he know they were doing that? You know what they would say today in this wishy washy age? Well, now that's not fair. How do you know they're devouring a widow's house? Like, like, what do you mean they devoured? I say, you just listen to what Jesus said. He never said anything wrong. This is God in a human body. You devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, you're not even sincere. In that long prayer you made and all those lofty things you said in your eloquent prayer, you didn't even mean it. Well, how do you know? You're being judgmental, was he? Yes, thank you. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold twofold more the child of hell than you are. Was he saying they were going to die and go to hell? Was that a judgment? Based on what? Choices they made as to how they're going to live and how they're going to conduct their affairs. Based on that, you are condemned. And he told them, he told them, look at verse 23. It doesn't get better. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you paid tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. How does he know they have? Had not Jesus probably listened to them? You think of it. Now you think of that. This is not hearsay. He wouldn't base his his justice on hearsay, he probably listened to these men teach on these street corners. He probably heard them pray and then watched how they lived. He probably observed them and took note of them. And he reached a verdict. One time he said to his disciples, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Be careful what you hear of these, these men teach. Why would he say that? Because he had listened to them himself. And he knew that they would bind heavy burdens on men, but they would not lift them with one hand themselves. They make it hard for you, but they won't live it themselves. He called them hypocrites. He didn't even give them hope. He said, you're twice as much a child of hell as they are. 24, he said, you blind guides, were they blind? Was that a judgment call? It was. Verse 25, listen to this. Listen to this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside you're full of extortion and excess. How does he know? Who gave you the right to say that about us? Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you are like whited sepulchers. Which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within you're full of dead men's bones and of all excesses. You outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. How does he know? Did he judge these men? That doesn't mean we're supposed to go around looking for somebody that we can say that to, but I'll guarantee you this. If you have been observant, if you've paid attention, if you've seen, as I have. You've seen a lot of things come and go and seen how people are vulnerable and how they fall. There comes a a time in your life you're able to point that out. Now, people think you're critical. You read in the paper where a major denomination questions as a part of their agenda, whether or not a woman should have to submit to her husband. Why would the whole bunch of you have to vote on that? It's in the Bible. It's not a put-down, it's a military word which simply means to rank under. He's not better than you are, but this is the way God wants it to be. And you're going to vote on that? Or they're going to vote as to whether women can be priests in their church or not. You don't have to vote on that. Read the Bible, the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. That would qualify her. What if she was married to another woman and she's a boy role or whatever, however they do that. And she says, well, I am her husband. Says who? I reach a verdict against that tonight in Jesus name. That is wrong. See, I just judged. I didn't do that to inflict pain and damage because they made the statement themselves. They're wrong. I simply pointed out that what you just said is wrong. That's not right. I would warn you, stay away from that. Because a little bit of that has a little bit more coming. Just like men who lie in wait, waiting to deceive, they're there all the time. They're amongst us, but they're waiting on their turn so they can deceive. Folks, this, this verse of Scripture here, I'll have to begin next week with verse 6 about the dogs and the hogs and, and the swine and the pearls. But what we said tonight is this. God forbids critical, sinful, censuring hearts towards other people on the basis of looks or opinions or feelings. We are to judge according to righteous judgment as John 7:24 says. Righteous judgment. Are they wrong? Is your attitude right? And you inform them that they are wrong? This is what he wants. But to walk around pointing your finger, as he said in Isaiah 65, holier than thou, that's what destroys the church That's not what every joint supplies. That's what robs the joints of their cohesiveness. There has to come a time to fix all of this. You have to look at everybody else that God joins you with and esteem them all as better than you. That's Ephesians 2. Esteeming others as better than yourself. Then you'll quit fighting, then you'll quit fussing. Then you quit trying to hurt. Then you will defend others in public and you hear things and you will stand up for a brother or sister. But you have to see who you are, the attitude you should have, and the way we approach it. Amen. Bow your head with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks tonight for your word, for your truth, and for making us free. And I ask you to impart into our hearts accurately and properly this word, that as we leave here tonight, we'll be better informed than we were on how to be right and proper with other people concerning rights and wrongs that we see or hear. We desire not to be little judges and little policemen, but we do desire to be armed and equipped with your word so that when we see a brother in a fault, We can restore him knowing what James said, that we save him from a multitude of sins. Give us that grace in our heart towards others. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.